Do you want a pizza? Do you want to be right? Do you want love? Do you want to fight? Do you want to celebrate? Or would you rather have an altercation? Do you want to build? Or do you want to tear down? And now, hope. Wit and wisdom on race, class, and community survival, brought to you by Talking Across the Lines, the Mountain of Hope organization in Mount Hope, West Virginia, and by the West Virginia Humanities Council. Based on coalfield memories, the ones that tear you up and the ones that feed your soul. Willie Ben Pritchett, a frequent visitor here on the corner of race and class, recalls his mother with a mix of gratitude and trepidation. Through his early years at home, she eagerly taught him everything she could possibly remember from her own eighth-grade education at a segregated school. My mom taught me everything. I mean, she read to me. She taught me all my ABCs. She taught me how to count. You know, she taught me everything before I got to school, before I even started school. So when I got to school, I was so much ahead of everybody else because my mother took the time to do this with me. Tragically, though, she suffered from severe alcohol addiction, the demon of alcohol as he remembers it. Despite the sadness it brought to both of them, she prepared him thoroughly to face an uncertain life with honest, industrious effort and respect for everyone he met. I know she loved me, though. Sometimes she didn't know how to show it because the demon and alcohol was taking over. But I know she prepared me. She taught me how to cook. She made me get in the kitchen with her when I was five years old to start learning how to cook, how to learn how to sew, learn how to clean. Because she told me when I got to be probably in the 10th grade, I'm going to know how to do everything for yourself so you don't have to depend on nobody else. The only thing a woman can do for you that you can't do for yourself is have a baby. Everything else you can do for yourself. So she taught me that. Right now, most of the meals in my home, you know, I cook them, you know, because I love to doing it, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, washing windows, cleaning bathrooms, I do that at home. So, I mean, my wife don't have to do all that, you know, because I was taught how to do it. I was taught how to clean. Most people nowadays don't know how to clean. They know how to move stuff around and straighten it up. They don't know how to clean and organize and everything. My mom taught me how to clean, how to organize, how to do just about everything, As he struck out on his own immediately after high school graduation, her teachings served him well, beginning with his sojourn to Washington, D.C. Most of the guys I hung around when I first got to D.C. were 10, 20 years older than me. I stayed around a lot of older guys. I didn't hang around guys my age. Hang around guys who was twice my age. They taught me. They had homes. They had cars. They had jobs. They had the things I wanted. They the ones who could show me how to do it. See, a young person can get me in trouble, but they can't get me out. So most of the guys I hung around when I were lawyer, doctor, mechanic, you know, and they took me under their wings and they taught me. They taught me how to be a man and taught me how to stand on my own feet. Sometimes with a price to pay, sometimes, you know, they made me pay the price for it.
everybody right. And then it's going to come back to you. I don't look for it to come back to me. I'm going to let them pay it forward, you know. See, you see somebody else at the DMV, motor vehicles, you know. And uh, guys have to wear the hood up. Everybody passing by. I'll take care of you now. So I got a jumper box. So I put my jumper box on the start of this car. He tried to give me $10. No, no. Pay the next man. When you see somebody else stop like that, see if you can help them. Gone are all the lonesome hours. These sacred times with you now I spend. And rain don't eat these flowers. But it falls, falls, falls on love again. You can tell from listening that Ollie Watts Davis takes great pleasure in talking about growing up in her family of seven children. They had a happy and productive household in the Kessler Hollow section of Mount Hope in the heart of the West Virginia coal fields. All of the children basked in the love and positive guidance of their mother and grandmother. The nurturance of the two women was infectious among them. Oh, my mother was amazing. Her friends called her Love Me but her name was Ramona. And she raised us as if we were only children. There were seven of us, but she raised us according to our own natural aptitude and personality and bent. And we never felt that we need to compare to one another, but we all felt very much loved, nurtured, and secure. Now my grandmother, I'm her namesake. My grandmother's name was Ollie Wilson. She was also very much in our lives, helping to raise us, helping to nurture us. I mean, she was the one I would go to if I was in trouble. <laughs> you know, if I had picked blackberries across the street and I wasn't supposed to, and I got stung by a bee, I would go to her house and get all the nurture and the care and the caressing before I had to face the discipline for having disobeyed. But my grandmother was a wonderful lady, had a tremendous business mind, both my mother and my grandmother did. I remember she had certain maxims she would say. For example, to my brothers, you know, a man ought to have money in his pocket. So my brothers picked blackberries and they sold blackberries and my brothers had a paper route, you know. She just really wanted them to grow up to be responsible men, able to take care of themselves and if they had families, to take care of families. And then she wanted to teach us girls how to manage ourselves as well, how to care for ourselves, how to care for others, how to cook, how to clean. So they were very practical but also encouraged us to develop our minds. So education was so very important in my upbringing. Schooling, as much as you could get, was a given in this family, and they all grew up anticipating higher education. Well, you know, in the African-American tradition, education has always been an avenue for advance. Ollie Watts Davis Many great scholars and many great teachers came out of West Virginia from the African-American community. Education was very important. And so I think that that is something that was instilled in me by my parents and my siblings. All of my siblings were good students. One of my sisters went on to college, and then it became the thing that we were going to do. I knew that I was going to college when I graduated high school, not if I was going to college, but where would I go to college? And so that was very important. I think that given the situation, the limited opportunities for us, it was important that we have a strong education. We could be teachers. My brother went on to become an engineer. We could do things that education could help us to do to fulfill our potential. For Ollie Watts Davis in the 1970s, and for many black families through the years, Education was seen as vital to getting out and improving your lot. 
You had to be not just as good as, but better at your profession in order to excel in a white world. Eleanor Agee was trained as a teacher. Upon graduating from segregated high school and college, a good while before Ollie Watts Davis, Eleanor knew she'd have to leave West Virginia to find work in her field. There weren't very many jobs when we graduated from high school, and those jobs were given to the whites, whether you overqualified or not. So that's the reason why we, as black students, had to leave West Virginia to go to other places to get a job or a profession. We could always get jobs as a maid or a housekeeper. There weren't very many jobs for teachers in West Virginia because schools had integrated then also. So the black schools that people used to get jobs at, those jobs were not available to black teachers any longer. Dr. Ollie Watts Davis said that the nearby four-room segregated school she attended for the first couple of years, W.E.B. Du Bois Elementary, got her off to a good start. Her first-grade teacher, Mrs. Wheeler, was a model of teaching as a calling, with patient service and inspired dedication to her students. In the community, we had teachers who were also very much interested in us and who very much encouraged us. My first learning, I went to W.E.B. Du Bois graded school. It was a segregated school. It was four rooms and all African-American teachers, and all of them were called to the discipline. It wasn't just a job. It was really a calling. It was a ministry. It was a service that they really performed to all of us students. And in my case, my first teacher, Mrs. Wheeler, she was demanding on me. She didn't let me slide. I think she saw something in me, and she was willing to make the investment. And I honor to her to this day because she taught me how to learn how the importance of discipline with learning, and that's very important. I didn't like it at the time, <laughs> but I look back with my adult self, and I have to thank her for that. You know, I must say, just the community that I was raised in was very nurturing and very supportive of all of the children, and there was a sense of security that I had there, and I, I got it first from my family, my older siblings and my grandmother and my mother. They made me feel so significant when I was growing up and secure. And I think everyone needs that. So I think my transition to an integrated school, difficult, probably yes. Impossibly difficult, not at all. And I say that because I had older siblings, an older brother, a Matthew who basically was my first teacher. I mean, he taught me how to read and write before I went even to elementary school. But I think that in their own gentle way, trying to protect my spirit, being so sensitive as I am, they sort of helped me to navigate without becoming damaged. It wasn't until fourth grade when she moved to integrated schooling that she realized her school had been lacking in materials but never in commitment to its children. Throughout, her family protected her and provided a safe and supportive nest from which to grow and flourish. When I did go to the integrated school, you just notice the differences. You notice that you've been in a school where you've had secondhand books and secondhand desks, and you don't have a lavish playground to play on. 
but you go to the other school and there are swings and merry-go-rounds and a basketball court, you really start to see that. I think a lot of the inequity existed in my community, but as I said earlier, I think my older siblings and my parents kind of protected my spirit from being insulted by that. And so when I think about the things that I've been able to walk into my potential, you know, and to do the work that has been prepared for me all along, wow, I don't think I could have done that if I had been harmed by that early on. That was the singing of Ollie Watts Davis. This program was recorded, written, and produced by Talking Across the Lines, LLC, with support from the Mountain of Hope Organization and the West Virginia Humanities Council. Our Hope theme song, Do You Want Peace, was composed and sung by Laura Sandage and Friends on her Bloom CD. Additional music was performed by Ollie Watts Davis and original guitar and violin music by Dan Frechette and Laurel Thompson at danandlaurel.ca and laurelthompson.com. Executive producers are Reverend Charles McKinney and Jack Spadaro. This project is presented with financial assistance from the West Virginia Humanities Council, a state affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations do not necessarily represent those of the West Virginia Humanities Council or the National Endowment for the Humanities. For Hope, I'm Carrie Klein.